and talk about that a little bit. Um, we're going to be in the book of Luke in chapter 10. I do want to say again thank you to the church for your hospitality and uh, your obedience to the Lord. And uh, I tell you, Satan hates you. He hates this church. He hates your pastor. He hates the programs and the ministries of this church. And do not play into the devil's hand, no matter what goes on in your life. Always uh, stand up for what is right, and you'll be glad you did. Amen. Stand with the truth, the Word of God. If you would, pray for my wife tonight. She, last night, began to feel... A uh, little, just sore throat, not feeling real well, started it being achy. And uh, so she spent the day, I, I got out of there, I didn't hang around. Uh, I, I spent the day with the pastor and got out of there. I don't want nothing she's got. I said, honey, I ain't going to kiss you right now. I mean, ain't nothing personal, but I don't want what you got. And uh, I always knew girls had cooties. And now it's true. I find out after 27 years of marriage. She said, I'll be watching you tonight. So I'm sure she's over there having a fit right now. But anyway, um, but pray for her if you would, honestly. She, my wife loves Alaska. And I don't know, I, I think secretly she prays that God would call us to Alaska. Because she loves this, this state. She, she's, uh, we've been here a few times and enjoyed it each time. And uh, so she, I think she would, and she's here and she can't get out and enjoy it. And so that's aggravating her. But we did get to see some things. We got to go to the Denali Park earlier this week. And if she can get better, uh, pray for her to get feeling better so tomorrow we can go out and do some more exploring and uh, see some things around here. You hunters ran off all the moose. She wanted to see a moose. And so anyway, uh, but she, uh, she loves it and I'm sure she'll come back. And again, we appreciate you. Thank you, church, for all you are and what you've done. And uh, always do your best for the Lord. Luke chapter number 10. And I want to start reading here in verse number 25. And uh, I think you're going to recognize this passage and understand uh, or, or remember what it's about. But it's, the Bible says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, talking to Jesus. He's tempting Jesus. What a foolish thing to do, Right? Don't tempt the Lord. You may think, well, I'm tempting the preacher, or I'm tempting this, or I'm, I'm pushing that. No, you're pushing the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied to the church. And so when they were about to die, Peter asked them, why has Satan tempted you to lie to the Holy Ghost? He didn't say, why has Satan tempted you to lie to the church or lie to a man, but to the Holy Ghost. If you keep treating the church as if it's a man's organization, you're going to have some issues in your spiritual life. These people were tempting Jesus Christ, their creator. They tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. So he's saying the law says I should love my neighbor as myself and also love God. And Jesus said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, this law, you're willing to justify himself. That's another dumb thing we do, isn't it? We try to tempt the Lord 
And then when we know we're wrong, we try to justify ourselves. You're going to be on the losing end of that battle. One day you're going to stand before God and give an account to God. You're going to be on a losing end of that battle. He was trying to justify himself. We've done that since Adam and Eve. When the Lord came into the garden and he said, look here, what have you done? Have you eaten the fruit that I've given or I told you not to eat? Adam, he could have said, you know what, Lord, you're right. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I have messed up everything. But he didn't. He said, the woman you gave me. He wasn't just blaming Eve. He's blaming God. You gave me that woman. You knew what she was like. And some of us men, all of a sudden, we're all getting like, "Uh oh, I hope he don't go there. You know what she was like. Lord, why did you give her to me? He tempted the Lord and then he tells Eve, is this true? Well, that snake, you made that snake. You put him in the garden. He said this. And there Eve does the same thing. You know what would be best for us if we'd just accept our faults, admit to them, and repent of them. Amen? That would solve a lot of problems, but they want to justify themselves. So he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wrong question. Amen? Don't ever get smart with the Lord. Don't ever get a snotty, your kids ever get a snotty attitude with you? Again, I told you the other night, my dad, if I ever talk back to my mom, this was the day I grew up in. Kids today, you know, they all get a little bit. But when I talk back to my mom, my dad threatened my life. <laughs> Amen? I loved it during COVID. Somebody said, I wonder if that offer my dad had to knock me into the middle of last year is still, <laughs> is still valid. Amen? I'd like to go back, you know. Anyway. But Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now to understand this, this is more than likely um, a Jewish man. And he has been wounded, he has been injured, and is left for dead on the side of the road. And so the Lord's telling this parable to Jewish people. And imagine them listening to this story. People like good stories. Don't you like good stories? And so Jesus is telling the story and, and uh, he says, there's a man who's been injured. He's left for dead. And they're like, oh, that's terrible. I would hate to be in that position. And then he goes on and says, by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And I can imagine, oh, good. Woo, what a blessing. The priest is coming. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And they're like, what? That's terrible. That's what religion will do for you. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, understand the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They didn't like the Samaritans. Jews hated them. And there's a lot of history that I'm not going to go into. You can ask your pastor. But boy, it was a bad thing. And so when he says, oh, and then a Samaritan's coming by, all of them are like, oh, great, a Samaritan. This isn't going to be good. He'd leave us to die for nothing. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help me tonight, Lord. And God, I sense there's some spirits that are uh, father bothered and, and disturbed by some things. I don't know what goes on in everybody's life, Lord. Every day we face things, turmoils and trials that goes on in our hearts and lives. But God, this is a time we can hear from you. And so I pray our hearts will be in tune with you, Lord. Forgive us uh, for our errors, for our trespasses. Lord, help us, Lord, right now to focus on you for our hearts to uh, come up close to the table and be fed by the Holy Ghost. Bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our most motivation, we talked the first night on, on Wednesday night, we talked about giving. The second night, we talked about going. But either of those two parts of missions ought to be done by the right motivation. If you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, it does not please God. Amen? You can do the right thing for the wrong reason and displease God. Just don't, don't think, well, the, the, the uh, means just, or the, the end justifies the means. It doesn't. You do it for the wrong reason and God is displeased with it. And so our motivation ought to be love. That is not a natural thing. Last night, and I've, this isn't the first time I've heard this, uh, your pastor told me, he said, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were mean. So you just look mean. My wife's told me, she said, you need to smile. I said, I am smiling. Yeah. Right. I just have that face. And uh, but anyway, um, so but we need to portray love. We need to show people love and care. We need to let them know that our hearts are, are poured out to them, that we care about them. And, and that is not a natural thing. That is not something you can do in your flesh. You say, well, I'm a nice guy. In America, they say that that Americans give billions of dollars a year to charity. But I know I've talked to a lot of us. I know it's not all because their heart is just full of goodness and love. You get tax write-offs for that. Amen? You get to account that on your taxes, or maybe you just walk away feeling good. Look at that. I gave my old beat-up shoes to a beggar. Right? I didn't need it anymore, so I gave it away. Right? And so we feel good about ourselves because I just gave my junk to somebody. Right? Come on, everybody okay? You know we're like that. And so we do things that we feel are right and good, but we do it with the wrong motive. We don't do it truly because we love. That is impossible for humans to do. Because of the fall, as by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because of the fall, we have a filthy, wicked nature. Every one of us. Love for others is not a natural thing. You say, well, I remember when I was a kid and a young man and I saw a good looking girl. She was attractive. Boy, I fell in love. No, you didn't. You fell in lust. You found someone attractive. You may have been attracted to them. But if love came, it came because you decided you made a choice 
to love them. We have marriages falling apart today because love has nothing to do with it. It's just attraction. And we yield ourselves to that carnal, fleshly feeling, that emotion of attraction. We get involved with someone and love is generally not a part of it. And if it is, it's just a carnal-based love that I love them as long as I'm getting something back. Let me ask you a question, ladies. Would you love your husband if he was still ugly to you and mean and didn't care and didn't seem to want to spend time with you? That'd be a hard thing to do, wouldn't it? By the way, I'm not going to preach this, but the Bible talks about uh, husbands love your wives. Men need to love their wives. That is an order and a command of God. Then he says to the woman, she is to reverence her husband. That is a command. And I've dealt with ladies before and they say, yeah, but he doesn't deserve my reverence. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you deserve his love? If you're honest, you'd say no. We don't do it because there's a deserving there. We do it because we're commanded to. God commands us to love others. Go with me, if you will, to 1 John. Hold our place in Luke. We're coming back and looking at this parable. But in 1 John, in chapter 4, there's a little song we learned as children out of this passage. If you don't know the song, I could, uh, we could look it up on YouTube someday. You could look it up and learn it. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, the Bible says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of what? God. That is a very plain, very clear statement. Love is of God. True love is of God. And so, no one can love without God teaching them to. We love Him because He first loved us. We do not know true love without the Lord's love being shed abroad in our hearts. Man is not capable of that. What man calls love is what we do to get something in return. It is being kind or showing something. A guy buys a nice gift for a girl so he can get her attention. Or he shows off and, you know, I don't know what guys do. Why? Because he wants to impress her because he wants affection returned to him. But that's not true love. True love is a sacrificial act. Christ, the Bible says, showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The actual verse is God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die for you because you are a lovable person. You are unlovable. Men, you are absolutely blessed if you have a wife that loves you as mean as you are. Ladies, you are absolutely blessed if you have a husband that loves you in spite of how mean you are. Say, well, you are mean to us. You're not, you've already insulted our brownies. Some of you just need to grow some skin. That's all there is to it. Amen. Some of you are so carnal. You're like, oh, them brownies. I don't know if I can get over that. Amen. Somebody brought me a brownie tonight. A juicy 
gooey, runny brownie. It was good. I ate one myself. It was delicious. Who made those brownies? Who made those? The, the, the ones that are, what do you call it? Gluten-free. I need that recipe. Absolutely amazing. Woo! That was good. That'll get me excited right there. I'm about to shout. That's good. Woo! But anyway, where was I? Love. Oh, I was at Brownies. <laughs> but listen, the, let's look here First John 4, 7, 8. He says, uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That means it is God's idea. It is God's work. Without God doing it, we can't do it. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Think about that, that statement. Being born of God is a who? Who are those that are born of God? Somebody answer. Anybody know? The saved. Those that are Christians. Those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says everyone that loveth is born of God. Well, what about the lost people? Let me just present something biblical to you. A lost person knows nothing about love. Until they have embraced the love of Christ and recognized what He has done for them, and they have no way of repaying that. They don't understand love. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And just in case you misunderstood that, he goes on to say it backwards. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Let me tell you something, unloving person who may have a profession of faith where you repeated a prayer somewhere, but you have no love in your heart for the lost that are dying and going to hell. You don't know God. That's what this Bible says. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. There's people that quote that. It's on bumper stickers and pins and, and whatever you name it. God is love. What they want to say by that is God just accepts everything. But that's not what that means. God revealed love to us by dying on a cruel cross for us, knowing we had no way of doing anything to pay him back. That's love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's love. Go with Matthew 22. Matthew 22 and verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the first, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now listen to this, verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Remember in Luke 16 when the rich man said, send Lazarus to tell my brothers he'll listen. He said, listen, they have the law and the prophets. What he's saying is the word of God. They have the word of God. That's all they need. They don't need someone to come back from the dead. So he's saying everything that is in this book hangs on one command. And that is love. 
But it's not the ushy gushy, you know, just don't worry about what everybody does. Let's just go around smiling at everybody's sin. That's not love. It's not love to let someone go to hell. That's not love. It's not love to be quiet about the fact that they are condemned by God. The Bible says, whosoever hath the Son hath life, and whosoever hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Think about that for a minute. The wrath of God hangs over the head of the lost person. And at any moment, it can fall upon them. Without warning. You say, well, that's not a loving God. Why is it not a loving God? He provided a way for salvation and he has patiently waited for them. They are the ones that have rejected him. He has shown love and he has shown what love is. He has told us what love is. I think a lot of times, again, when we preach in missions conferences, we coerce, we try to get people to give by appealing to the flesh. I remember one time in a missions conference, a preacher got up and he wasn't wrong. He was preaching on give and it shall be given unto you. We're going to look at that. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking and all the things shall men add into your bosom. And he preached on that. Well, one of the men in the church, one of the... Uh, uh, I, I just a member of the church. I'm not sure if he was in charge or involved or I don't know to what degree I was just visiting. But he got up or he, he gave a huge commitment for, for faith promise. And so when he did, the pastor went and talked with him and said, you know, and he made it very public. He said, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm going to give this commitment. And he said, well, what's you know, I thank God for what you're doing. But tell us, you know, give us a testimony. He said, well, I'm trying to build my dairy farm up. And he said, I realize all I got to do is give to God and God's going to make my dairy farm uh, plenteous. And the pastor said, you've got the wrong idea. God's not a one-armed bandit that you just put money in, pull the thing, and he might give you something back. When we give to God, we ought to give sacrificially, understanding, I am giving this to him and I do not, he doesn't owe me anything more. But we here preached in missions conferences that we should give to get. And while it is true that God will not let the giver go without, I can promise you that our motivation should not be to get. If it is, we fail and we will eventually quit. Our motivation ought to be love. And when our motivation is love, we will give no matter what. Remember when Jesus was watching as they gave in the temple and he told his apostles, he said, did you see her? They're like, what, what? Did you see that widow? The Bible, by the way, he says he watched how they gave. He wasn't necessarily watching what they gave, how they gave. And she gave just a little bit, a couple of coins. And they said, what's the big deal? There's people gave a whole lot more than that. Jesus said, yeah, but she gave every." she had just like the widow woman we heard about last night or the first night she gave everything she had when we love we will give no matter what we should have a love for God and we should have a love for others but we will never have a love for others until we have the proper love 
for God. The love for others comes because we love God. Then His love is shown through us to others. But until we have this thing lined up right and we love Him the way we ought to, we are never going to get anywhere in missions. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. He said, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and thy mind. That is everything. I think a lot of times I've heard this said, people said, when I get to heaven, then I'm going to be able to worship God and serve him the way he deserves to be served. You realize when you leave this earth, you're leaving this flesh behind. Do you know what honors God more than what you're going to be able to do in heaven is when you overcome your flesh and you serve him here. You will never be able to serve the Lord in heaven the way you can serve him right now. Because when we serve him now, we are sacrificing. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. You can't do that in heaven. Because our bodies are going to be changed. They're going to be glorified. They're going to be perfect. We will no longer have flesh to overcome. We will no longer argue or fight over this. Oh, I just don't know if I can. It's so hard to give it. But what great victory when we overcome the flesh and we give joyfully out of love. That honors the Lord. And we'll never be able to do that in heaven in our glorified state. Our love for our neighbor is so important. It's so vital. Because without it, missions will never be real to us. I want us to look back at our text in Luke about the Samaritan. We're going to look at this tonight in light of missions and thinking about missions. I think we throw this phrase around fairly easily. I've heard people say, yeah, one time I was stuck on the side of the road. I ran out of gas and I wasn't paying attention. There I was without gas and a good Samaritan came and picked me up and took me down to the gas station so I could get some gas. That's not a good Samaritan. He was going that way anyhow. He just let you go with him. No, a good Samaritan would be, he stopped, put some gas in your car at his expense, followed you down to the gas station, filled your tank up at his expense, and then gave you $100 for your next tank of gas. That would be a good Samaritan. We throw that word around like it. Many people say, well, I've been a good Samaritan. I really doubt it. How many of us have gone out of our way to great expense to be a blessing to someone else we know would never be able to bless us back? That is exactly what missions is. The people in Ghana will likely never be able to recompense the Lord's people for the money that they give to help missionaries go and preach the gospel to them. The missionaries themselves will likely never be able to be able to repay the church or even show the church any kind of kindness or favor. Our carnal attitude is, what am I going to get out of it? And as long as we're like that, we cannot please God. When you love Him the way you ought to, the Bible says that love is shed abroad in our hearts and we begin to do things that other people are baffled by. 
You realize there's people in this world that if they knew you gave to missions every week, you filled that check out or you put that cash in an envelope and wrote missions on there, mission support, they'd think you're out of your mind. We had a lady in our church, an elderly lady. And as she began to get older, her daughter kept uh, had to take over writing her checks for her and paying her bills. And uh, every month she'd get to the point where she'd write her check for tithing and faith promise and giving to missions. And she gave personally to several missionaries. And they would argue about that. Mom, you just don't have the money to do this. You shouldn't be doing this and blah, blah, blah. And so it, it was a fight every month for mom to insist you're going to write those checks. And our daughter was a Christian lady, but she didn't understand this concept. Why is mama doing this? Because mama learned something the daughter never did. And that is what love is about. The Samaritan was good because he did something not even a priest or a Levite would do. He took a great risk. When you love, truly love in a godly way, you're taking a risk. Many people like to live safely. We're afraid to step out and do things because we don't want to put ourselves at risk. We want to build a wall around our heart and protect ourselves from hurt. Listen to me. Your pastor, Brother Humphrey, Myself, the missionaries, these men daily are laying their lives open to injury. Pastors and their families, missionaries and their families are constantly being hurt. Not by the world's people, not by the devil's crowd, but by God's people. Why? Because they love. A man that surrenders his life to full-time service of the Lord without knowing what that means. Where God may send him, how he may be removed from his family and the life that he loves and enjoys and the comfort he has and the safety he has. And he lays that all on the altar and says, Lord, you have my life. Whatever you want, I'll do it. A man that does that is moving himself from a comfort zone and putting himself in a very comfortable place. And the only way he can do that is because of love. He loves. Because of love, we take risks. I want you to imagine tonight the man that was in the ditch on the side of the road that had been beaten and bruised, bloodied and left for dead. But instead of him, because this is a parable, but instead of him, I want you to imagine the countries around the world where people have never heard the gospel. Your pastor was sharing the project that you all have to take and, and mail the gospel to the, to the villages around Alaska. What a tremendous burden that is. And you say, well, maybe one day we'll just somehow receive a blessing for it. No, not likely. You do it because we're commanded and there's a love in our heart for people. And we see these people on the precipice of hell about to fall into an everlasting flame. And it causes compassion in our hearts. Love causes compassion and compassion compels us to move.
But if you don't have love, you'll never have compassion. You know what compassion is? Compassion is the ability to feel the pain of another person. And that compels you to act on their behalf. That's compassion. Moving on their behalf. Let us look at some risks that the Samaritan took. And let us compare it to our lives. Do we live comfortably? Do we live in a comfort zone? Or do we, have we learned to love as Christ loved? First of all, I see that this man, the Samaritan, he risked defilement. He risked getting dirty. Here he is traveling along the road and he's heading to a location. He has a destination in mind. He's just minding his own business. And he sees a person on the side of the road, wounded, bleeding and in need of help. And the Bible says he went to him. Now, their roads weren't like highways here in, in, in uh, the States or even in, uh, the, in Germany, the Audubon. That's an amazing road. And it's like this thing is nice. It's like they just paved it yesterday. I don't know how they keep it so nice. What a beautiful road. But it wasn't like that. These roads in the, in the New Testament day, they were dirty and dusty. And, and the animals that would be traveling back and forth were leaving things there. You know what I'm talking about. They were full of disease and it was just a disgusting place. President Garfield, just over maybe 100 and something, 150 years ago, was shot in a train station. He didn't die from getting shot. He died from infection because of the filthy floor he laid on and the filthy finger the doctor stuck in the hole trying to find the bullet. That's what killed him. Infection. That's what it was like. And here's the Samaritan. He walks by and he sees this bloodied, bruised, broken man laying in the mud. No doubt dirt and filth all over him from rolling around in pain. And he went down there and he got on his knees and he picks him up and holds his head and pours some water into his mouth to give him a drink of water to refresh him. He risked getting himself dirty. There are many times Christians will say, look, I'll do something. I'll, you know, I'll write a thing or send a tract or I'll, you know, I'll do, I'll put together. I just don't want to risk getting dirty. I remember going door to door, the missionary. I don't remember who the missionary was, but we were going door to door in a low income area. And I mean, it's one of those where you go in the yard and every on both sides piled up with junk. I mean, there's junk everywhere. And we walked up to the porch. We're kind of, you know, going between things and go up to the door and knock. And a man answers the door in dingy clothes. And the missionary started talking to him about the Lord. Would you accept an invitation to come and hear the gospel at the church and things like that? He said, well, he said, right now I don't got time. Me and my wife, we're trying to get rid of these bed bugs. And I was right behind this missionary. He nearly stepped over me, ran me over trying to get out of there. Amen. When I was a boy, I remember my mom. Mom and, mom and dad got saved about two years before I was born. My dad was an alcoholic and uh, they just had rough lives, lived the life of the world. They got saved. It compelled them to do stuff. And my mom and dad, my dad would drive a church bus. He'd go all over uh, the kids and mom would work with those kids and they would bring them in. And, and a lot of times these kids would have uh, their hair matted with lice. And my 
My mom would sit there and clean their hair and, and, and help them. And we'd often buy clothes and, and help these kids. She'd hold two or three dirty little snotty-nosed kids in her arms. I watched my wife in Mexico do the same thing. These little Mexican boys and girls and hold them in her lap. Their head plumb moving with the bugs in their head. More than once, my wife would spend her Sunday nights in the bathroom showering with Lysol shampoo to make sure she didn't get those things. You say, preacher, I could never do that. You could if you had the love of Christ. You could. If you stop seeing things the way the world and your flesh sees it, and you begin to see it in the eyes of Jesus Christ as He hung on that cross and He saw a lost dying world, if we can see that like He did, it would change us. He risked defilement. The filth and dust and blood and soiled clothing. And maybe he had soiled himself because of what he had gone through. He no doubt smelled terrible. And yet this Samaritan got down on his knees and took care of his need and, and, and cleaned his sores and washed, wiped away the muck and the dirt and mud from his wounds and poured oil into his wounds to help cure them. Number two, not only did he risk defilement, he risked disease. He bound up his wounds. Today we understand the danger of touching an open wound or something like that. And I spent a little bit of time right out of high school working for the volunteer fire department. And we were the only unit with the jaws of life in the entire county. And we were taught right away, the first thing you do is you put on your protective clothing and your gloves and all that stuff. Because you touch the wrong person that's bleeding or have body fluids. You could get a disease. And it could change your life. Those that work in the medical industry, I have high regard for them. Many times, just a simple phlebotomist will accidentally get stuck and have to go, my sister-in-law's had to do it, go through several tests to make sure they don't have AIDS or some other thing. It's a risky thing to do that. Adam and Kelly have both many times been sick with malaria and other diseases there in the country, diseases that generally in America we don't have to worry about. You say, how do they do that? How does somebody, and I've heard Christian people sitting around tables in fellowship, and they don't mean anything by it, but I've heard this statement a thousand times, I could never do something like that. As a young man, I heard my pastor's wife say, I would never be able to go to a foreign country. You can if the love of Christ is in your heart. If you love like He loves, you can. In His days, disease also was a fear. Leprosy was a common and contagious and terminal illness. Those who were lepers had to cover their faces and they had to uh, have bells on in some areas and they had to cry out if someone was coming their way, they'd have to cry, unclean, unclean. Because it was so dangerous. They lived in colonies, all pushed away from society in order to protect society from that dreaded disease. They had that in their day. This Samaritan man could have looked and maybe the Levite and the priest looked and said, Oh, what if he's leprous? I better get out of here. But the Samaritan comes by. He doesn't even think about that. 
He gets on his knees, wipes the blood and dirt out of the wounds and cleans and, 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 and helps this man risking disease in his own body. How about risking depletion? The Bible says he used oil and wine in the wounds. This was something that was common in their day. Today we have turpentine. How many of you ever get turpentine on a, on a sore? They don't do that here. Hydrogen peroxide. How about the red stuff mama used to put on your skins and, and cuts? Almost said boo-boos, that sounded like. That's like the devil's spit. That's hot, man. That burns. Like, what are you doing? You're making it worse. Right? But they had oil and vinegar or oil and wine. They'd pour it in the sore to clean it out. They didn't understand about amoebas and parasites and bacteria. They didn't know about all that. All they knew is it generally helps when we clean it out with some wine. And he's using his own materials, his own supplies. I heard a preacher one time say this, and it could be so. He said, you know, it's always surprised me and, and maybe confused me a little bit as to why this man is traveling with these specific supplies it's like he had a big first aid kit. And he said, maybe it's because there was a time he also fell among thieves and was bruised and wounded and somebody came to his aid. And from then on, he made it his life's uh, goal to be able to help somebody else out that needed help like that. And so he went prepared. I don't know if that's so, but that's a good illustration for God's people, isn't it? We also were bruised and bloodied and left for dead. The devil hated us. Religion hated us. But Jesus came along and helped us. Now we ought to have a desire to help others the same way we were helped. How does that happen? Love. The love of God in our hearts. I want to read a poem here. Six humans trapped by happenstance in dark and bitter cold. Each possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. They're dying fire in need of logs, but first one held hers back. For of the faces around the fire, she noticed one was black. The next one looked across the way and saw one not of his church and could not bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes and gave his coat a hitch. Why should his log be put to use to warm the idle rich? The rich man just sat back and thought of wealth he had in store and keeping all he had earned from lazy and shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from his sight, for he saw in his stick of wood a chance to spite the white. The last man of the forlorn group did, ought, did not accept for gain. Giving just to those who gave was how he played the game. Their sticks held tight in death's stilled hands was proof enough of sin. They did not die from cold without. They died from cold within. If we do not show love, we're not going to give. If we do not have love, we're not going to go. This man, this Samaritan man, that every Jew listening to this parable would not have believed he would have done what he did, was the only one who showed compassion to a man in need. My friend, the religions of this world are not going to show compassion to the lost. 
The rich of this world are not going to show compassion to the lost. If anyone's going to save them from hell, it's going to be you. It's going to be the ones here who have been touched by the hand of God, who have been saved by grace, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, experienced the love of God Himself. Those are the ones who are going to make a difference in this world. He risked depletion. Sometimes we reason why it's not our problem. We have no guilt. I can't reach everybody. I'm just one person. We're just one church. We can't do everything. God's not asking you to do everything. He's just asking you to do what you can. When the woman, Mary, took that alabaster box of ointment and she broke it and anointed Jesus for his burial. And others complained, Judas, the one who carried the purse, the treasurer. Not, nothing against the treasurer here. But the treasure, I love preaching that in our church because I like picking on my treasure. But he said, why wasn't that sold and given to the poor? He didn't care about the poor. All he cared about was money and gain. But when everybody complained, Jesus Christ said, leave her alone. She hath done what she could. Listen, if you step up this year and you say, I'm going to do more than I've ever done for the sake of missions so that we can send the gospel all over the world, I guarantee you someone's going to criticize you for it. And quite likely somebody in this congregation. Amen? But don't let it stop you. You step up and do it. Number four, he risked debilitation. He set the man on his own beast. He had to walk the rest of the way to town. He put this broken, wounded man on his own animal and he walked risking exhaustion, risking that his own body would be depleted. And many times we see missionaries on the field working themselves to their last ounce of energy, their bodies, their health dwindling away. And we wonder, why would they do that? The love of Christ. That's why. They're not doing it for men's applause. They don't get any of that. Especially not from a bunch of Baptists. They do it for the glory of God because He has put a love in their heart for the lost and dying world and they're going and trying to reach them as much as they can. That's why. Number five, He risked delay. We are a busy people, aren't we? Boy, we've got schedules. We've got to take the kids here, go do that. Mama is a taxi driver. Running the kids all over town, running all their activities. By the way, let me just throw this in here. This is free, don't cost you a thing. Your kids don't need all the activities that you can possibly get them in. My mom and dad bought three and a half acres. And I said, hey, can we go join football? No, go out there and play in the woods. Amen. I grew up without all of the programs and ball games and all the stuff that I would, you know, I wanted to be like all my friends and they all, oh yeah, I'm into baseball and I'm into this and I'm going to play football. One day I'm going to be in the NFL and today they're nothing. Right? Your kids don't need all that. What they need is to be in the house of God as often as possible. They need to be at the feet of Jesus learning from Him as much as possible. You know what I love tonight? I loved watching all the kids over there. You are blessed with a church full of kiddos. Amen? Don't ever complain about the kids. 
Don't do it. Because when you're in a church without them, you'll appreciate them. At our church, we've got glass front doors. And I remember growing up in a church where when there were little fingerprints on the glass doors, the preacher would have a fit. He couldn't get there quick enough with Windex and a paper towel to get them things off. I just sometimes will walk over on a Monday and I look at the glass doors. All the handprints. And I'll say, thank you, Lord, for a church that's full of kiddos. Thank you for young people that mom and dad are trying to raise up. Listen, mom and dad, don't get weary in well-doing. You say, I'm so tired of homeschooling. Keep doing it for the glory of God and the love of Christ. Invest in those kids. They're worth it. He risked delay. His schedule was ruined. He had somewhere to go. But everything else he had to do became unimportant beside this man's life. We're going to risk delay, yep, but we do it because of the love of Christ. We have little time to reach the lost. Do you know that? We're running out of time. The trumpet is going to sound any moment. The Lord's going to return. And listen, I, I believe your pastor and I are agreement. We, we follow the same things, listen to the same Bible, amen, read the same word of God. Those who have listened to the gospel being preached in this age, when that trumpet sounds and the saved are gone, they will have no more opportunity to be born again. The Bible plainly says they'll be given strong delusion they should believe a lie. Their soul will be forever sealed in damnation. And the wrath of God will fall upon them. You say, preacher, what do we do? We do everything we can for the mercy of God. Praying that God would help us to do even more. Every opportunity we have, we ought to give it to the Lord to reach the lost. Lastly, he risked debt. He risked the financial loss. Look what it says here in this passage. In verse number 35, He took him to an inn and took care of him. And then on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. He didn't say up to three pence. You can spend up to three pence more and I'll pay you that back. No, he said, whatsoever thou spendest more when I return, I will repay thee. That's risk, isn't it? I've told you already this week, Wednesday night, you give to God in obedience to him. Now, I'm not telling you to do something he doesn't tell you to do. You give to God in obedience to him you're not really risking anything at all. God will take care of us. Don't you believe that? He says, if, if anything more is costing, I will repay thee. We are often only willing to commit what we can measure. We're often willing to only commit what we can measure. Lord, I'll surrender 
but I'm not doing this, this, or this. I've learned to be careful with those, those statements. Because nine times out of ten, God will ask you to do exactly what you said you don't want to do. Why? Because He wants to test your love for Him. He tried Job, did He not? He allowed Satan to test Job's mettle, to test his faithfulness, to test his love. Job passed. I wonder how many of us, if we were tested tonight, would pass. If God said, I'm going to test your love for me, I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what the Lord's speaking to you to do for missions. I know your pastor has a heart for missions. I know that. I know this church has a heart for missions. For the size church, that's a tremendous amount of missionaries to support. That's a blessing. You say, preacher, isn't it enough until everyone that has never heard the gospel has the opportunity? It's not enough. We need to love as Christ loved. Jesus Christ died on the cross and He shed all His blood. He didn't just give part, He gave it all. And you and I ought to be willing to do the same. How? Why? Our motivation ought to be love. And that love comes from Christ. You say, preacher, I just don't know how that works. Maybe tonight you can get on the altar and say, Lord, help me to love as you loved. Teach me to love the way you want me to love. To be able to release my own self and risk it all for the cause of Christ. Father in heaven, Lord God, I pray you'd help us tonight. Lord, I believe with all my heart much of Christianity has lost its love. We have become discouraged because of losses. Lord, I think sometimes we Christians feel like that we were here to usher in a kingdom or some sort of a utopia, and we didn't see that. Instead, we see exactly what the Bible said, evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. God, help us to look past all of that and continue to give, battle, surrender, do everything we can so that souls can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray you'd stir hearts. Only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.